Welcome to the Friendly Aussie Podcast. Hello, everybody. Today we're here with uh, a Canberra representatives, territory representative. So Michael Pedersen, um, head of the big push in the ACT to decriminalize and allow for recreational cannabis use, happened in 2019. Uh, thanks for being with us. How are you? My pleasure. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm good. That's great. I mean, we've covered those formalities already uh, before the interview, but <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming on again. And uh, today we're just going to, I guess, cover with you a few curious questions that we've had about, you know, what's happening down in that pocket in Canberra um, and what are the kinds of uh, things that we can learn from as outside observers, you know, this kind of experiment. Let's just start with perhaps like a backstory of how the cannabis bill came to be and how you how you became involved perhaps in uh, politics and then this movement. And also what got you interested in cannabis? Like where that push came in for you personally? There, there are a few questions there. Uh, let's start with the cannabis bill. And then when we get to the end of that story, remind me of the other questions. Sure uh, a, a few years ago, I proposed a private members bill in the ACT Legislative Assembly to legalise the possession and personal use of small amounts of cannabis in the ACT. Uh, somewhat controversial, unexpected at the time, but in proposing that bill, um, the ACT went on a bit of a journey talking about drug law reform. Mm. And ultimately, after a year, the ACT Legislative Assembly passed my private member's bill to legalise possession of 50 grams of cannabis, uh, two plants per person to a household limit of four, and then introducing a wet limit of 150 grams. I like the idea of, you know, a, a household limit on plants, but like what I never really understood about that law is that 150 gram wet, that's only when it's cut. Correct. So is that meaning someone has to cut intermittently if they've grown quite a lot more than that 150 grams or? Yeah. It, I, I hear you loud and clear. Um, one of the funny things about, I think, um, a, a lot of our laws and a lot of the things that government do, the people that uh, introduce laws, people that write laws, people that work in the public service that help consult and bring together these things, um, aren't often subject matter experts. Yeah. Sometimes they try, uh, but they don't necessarily always get it right. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the complexities as to how we landed on the amounts we did, in proposing the private members bill that I brought forward, I tried to change as little as I could from the decriminalization framework that already existed in the ACT. So I just took all of the thresholds that already existed for decrim in the ACT and just said, let's get rid of the penalties. Mm -hmm. Then there were some stakeholders that wanted to come in and introduce a wet limit. Sensible idea, people harvesting their cannabis, um, we're going to have more than 50 grams. Uh, where that 150 gram limit came from? Very honest, I don't know. Somewhere in the public service, the stakeholders, someone came forward with that number and that's the number of the laws. It's, uh, it's an interesting one because the problem is you're, you lose 80 to 90% from the wet to the dry. Um, so th that potentially 150 grams could only be maybe 15 grams um, dry, which is, it's really tough. So it would mean they need to go intermittently. Um, Have you heard about any... Before we go back to those old questions, um, have you heard about any problems that have emerged from that 150 gram wet limit as a representative? Um, essentially, the main problem is, is what you're raising. Um, people commonly harvest more than 150 grams. Um, and people, I think there are a lot of people that um, are seeing an opportunity to 
operate within the law when it comes to the cannabis use and they want to grab it with both hands. Uh, and so they find this frustration that the law doesn't necessarily actually line up with someone's actual experience trying to grow and harvest cannabis. Uh, so I completely understand the frustration. I think it's a very valid and legitimate one. Um, there's a review of the legislation in a couple of years' time. I think it's within three okay. years of it coming into effect. Um, so I think a lot of these issues will be ventilated um, and hopefully um, there'll be a common sense discussion about them. Yeah, that would be fantastic. One of the things also when the bill came in, like there was a lot of the talks of the feds getting involved and being like, oh, the federal police won't allow this to happen. Has anything like that emerged out of um, anything? No. So a quick legal lesson for your listeners. The Australian Capital Territory is not a state. It mm -hmm. is a territory. So the foundational document for uh, the Australian Capital Territory is something called the ACT Self-Government Act, mm. which was passed through the Commonwealth Parliament. Now, if you live in a state like you two do, uh, Queensland's foundational document is actually the Constitution of Australia. Mm -hmm. So your powers as a state are enshrined in the Constitution. Our powers as a territory come from that act of the federal parliament. Right. Yeah. So with that being the case, the Australian Capital Territory is not allowed to pass laws that directly contradict what Commonwealth law is. Right. So there was a big legal question saying, how can the ACT pass a law that contradicts what the Commonwealth wants to see happen? Mm. There's a, a lot of legalese that goes into this. Uh, and in short, we were very specific with the wording that we used. So we exempted Canberrans from the offence. We did not... not um, entirely get rid of the offence. There's some legal reasoning behind that. Sure. The other thing that needed to be considered was the fact that the Commonwealth Parliament can actually just come in and try and override laws that the Legislative Assembly passes. Mm -hmm. So the big threat was that the Commonwealth Government would get together and say, we don't like this law, we're going to come in, we're going to intervene and knock this off the books. Right, similar to what happened um, with same-sex same marriage yeah. and a marriage equality at one point. No, no, that's different as well. Different. So, well, it's quite funny. Uh, the, the law is this big complex beast uh, and some of these issues kind of come from the same place, but yeah. the legal issue is very different. Right. So what happened with same-sex marriage was that the uh, marriage as a legal issue is solely the remit of the Commonwealth government. Mm, it's not I for see. states and territories. And so the ACT government was very cheeky uh, we passed laws that were not in our jurisdiction uh, and the high court, when it got before them, just said, what are you doing? You can't do that and knocked it off. Yeah, fair, fair. But at least you tried. <laughs> we, we, we did. Uh, we did. We would do it again. Uh, <laughs> well, within a couple of years, a few years, something had moved in that space, right? Well, it took 10 years, I think, because I think that was 2006. Oh, was it? Yeah. And I think the marriage equality bill came through 2016, somewhere there, 15? It was when Turnbull was around, so. Do you know when it was, yeah. Michael? 2017, yeah, 2017, 2018. It took about 10 years, I believe, for it to actually yeah. go across the whole nation. So I, I've been running with the theory because you guys legalized in the ACT in 2019, we should expect legalization across the country by 2029. Um, Theoretically. If, <laughs> if we are to assume Canberra is the testing ground, right? I think that's ambitious. Um, so I think a better example would be uh, the Australian Capital Territory decriminalised cannabis possession about 30 years ago. Uh, 
yeah. what's going on in a bunch of the other states. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of other states have, have never moved. Um, there are some kind of murmurs of movement now in certain states and then trying to introduce kind of deferral pathways. Yeah. But I think it was two other states or territories that properly introduced decriminalization. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, it's nice to think that if one state or territory moves and does something, that naturally other states and territories will follow. That's just not the case. It actually requires work in those jurisdictions to make it happen. Mm. Yes. Where did your passion come in for the cannabis reform? Is there any reason for it or was it just something like that was a no-brainer for you? It's actually a, a really good question. Uh, and it gets asked a lot. I kind of enjoy telling this story. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, a square. I'm a bit of a dork. Um, I got involved in politics really young, right? So inherently I'm not kind of like the most outgoing, cool guy you'll ever come across. Uh, so it's not this like personal passion of mine to use illicit substances. I, I grew up like I think most people my age um, kind of discovering the internet. Uh, and I remember sitting on YouTube as a teenager watching, I think I'm going to get the acronym wrong here, uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. It's, it's this American organization where you've got former American law enforcement officers that essentially go on um, right-wing talkback shows and kind of diss on the war on drugs. And I was like a 15-year-old kid on YouTube and I was like, these guys are just I like remember the coolest guys. Yeah. It's where the lawyer uh, like tells you how to beat or the cop tells you how to beat the law kind of. I think it was like, if you ever got stopped, this is what you should do. That's what I yeah. remember from that. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, and so I thought these guys were the coolest guys ever, which kind of shaped my views on um, drug law. Mm-hmm. Then as a member of the Legislative Assembly, I had this um, moment of reflection sitting in my office one day talking to my staff. Uh, and we've kind of been seeing what was happening in the United States, seeing cannabis legalization attempts. Uh, we, we kind of watched and we're like, oh, isn't that great? That's good stuff. We agree with that. Uh, and then there was this kind of light bulb moment where I was like, why aren't we doing that here? Because uh, you kind of just think, I think a lot of politicians are guilty of this. You just kind of think someone else is going to do it. Uh, you're, so, you're in politics though, right? It's one of those things. Well, yeah. But you think about in your workplace, right? Like everyone sitting at home in your workplace you just kind of sit there and you think, oh, like, yeah, someone else will do that. Yeah, someone 100%. else will do it. Uh, and it was just kind of this moment. I was like, well, actually, shit. No one else is doing this. I live oh. in the ACT, uh, one of the most progressive jurisdictions in the country. Yeah. I'm surrounded by a lot of progressive colleagues. I was like, why hasn't, why hasn't anyone done this yet? And I was like, all right, well, if no one else is going to do it, looks like I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, that's just how it came about through a kind of, um, uh, I guess you were dealing with it from an outsider's perspective, not inside of the cannabis community, but understanding the kind of legal reforms and, um, and what would come about if there was a situation where that shifted here in Australia or, or in the ACT. Um, yeah, yeah it's funny. That you... Like develop policy around it. I think that's really fantastic it's really funny that you mentioned the cannabis community because as a elected member you you kind of people make representations to you all the time on all sorts of issues Mm. um and lots of the time on issues that you completely agree with right you sit there and you go like yep i completely agree with that position on that issue we need to do something about it as a politician you're just very time poor you've Mm. got a thousand issues in front of you and you go all right i've got 
so much capacity to do X, Y, Z. Um, these are the things that I'm most likely to get traction on, most likely to get a result on. So I'm going to focus on these. So I'd had people in the community talk to me about legalizing cannabis. I'd be like, yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I think it's a really good idea. Uh, I just kind of expected someone else to do it. Yeah, and yeah. then no one else did it. And so then it just dawned on me. I was like, all right, I'm going to have to step up and do it. So in territory politics, um, in the kind of labor caucus that exists there, what kind of role do you play? And, and how did it come about that the rest of your caucus, um, the rest of your group kind of came to this conclusion as well? So I'm not a minister. I'm not a part of the executive government. I'm what's known as what I think most people know. I'm a backbench member. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm not in a position of leadership. Um, I was somewhat new to being an elected representative. I was first elected in 2016. So I was in my first term. So I think there was, wow. there was a couple of, I think, central elements to the Labor caucus's consideration. The first one was a bit uh, of hesitancy due to me being a first-term member. Yeah, like, right. This guy uh, is young. Um, he's the youngest elected member we've got. Um, got a baby face. Uh, he's not particularly well-known in the community yet because it's his first term. Hasn't really had to deal with any particular uh, big media fights or policy right. fights. Yeah. So he'd be jumping in the deep end. So there was a hesitation there from the caucus. Uh, the second part was, I think, a bit of a political calculation. Yeah, right. Now, the ACT is a very progressive jurisdiction. But public polling, uh, I'm talking about like national public polling in support of cannabis legalisation, isn't particularly overwhelming mm. uh, for you're right. The most part, at the time we were going through it, there was a decent chunk in, like, there was a larger support, you know, there was larger opposition than support if you looked at public polling. Mm. So there was some hesitancy going like, even if we agree with this as a policy outcome, this might actually be very unpopular. Uh, so we need to think about that. And there's a real, I guess, calculation that a politician has to, politician slash parliamentarian has to take up a lot of the time like yeah. morally this is the right thing to do but this is not supported by the population what do we do yeah, that's a yeah. balancing act I, I completely agree with that i think that in our conversation with um rose jackson another kind of labor politician in new south wales like their caucus is going through that situation at the moment where privately a lot of them will agree that this is good policy they still have to make a kind of machiavellian um, stake at the end of the day, they have to actually play politics. Um, and in New South Wales, that might look differently to in the ACT. That might perhaps be why there's less um, vocal support. There hasn't been as much policy change there. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? It's, it, it, it's a real problem that the Labor Party faces. Now, the Labor Party takes very seriously its responsibility to try form governments. Mm -hmm. uh, Right. If there was not a left-wing party that was prepared to go out there and fight to try win government, you know what we would have? We would have the Liberal Party in government all of the time. Pretty much. It might be, it might be virtuous and we might have a great time saying um, how righteous our views are. Hmm. But what is happening right now in this country as a result of a Liberal government, I think it's a very bad thing. And I'm prepared to support people who are going to try and stop that from being the case. Sure. So there is this very real calculation that, you know, Yes, our value set 
says that this is the right thing for us to do. This is the right policy. However, it might lose us an election. Are we prepared to lose on all these other issues? Welfare reform, uh, changes to negative gearing, refugee law, environmental law for this issue. Different people have different calculations. Uh, so there's that Machiavellian, as uh, you put it, calculation about uh, kind of electoral success. Um, the, the second, I think the third part of the labour consideration in this, uh, in considering cannabis legalisation, um, came down to people's personal views. Yeah, um, right. There are left, left-wing people that don't support this. Mm. Um, and I think cannabis legalisation as a debate is healthier if we don't make it a left-right issue. Agreed. 100%. Uh, the number of people in the left that support cannabis legalisation, heaps. Number of people in the right that support cannabis legalisation, also a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Your libertarian types love yeah. cannabis legalisation. Yeah. Uh, and so we, if, I mean, that's right. So, yeah, so if we kind of let this be kind of this like left-right issue as opposed to an issue that we can debate its merits in and of itself... Um, I think that does a disservice. So even within the Labor caucus, there were different views on it. Mm. Um, I hear that. And, that's um, and some hesitancy. Sense. So ultimately, so ultimately, when I came forward with my private members bill, um, I was kind of out there on my own. Um, I got agreement from caucus that I was allowed to go out and propose this, but they kind of reserved their support. Mm-hmm. They kind of said, you go out there, test it. Let's see how that goes. Um, fingers crossed for you, buddy. We hope it goes well for you. Uh, if it goes badly, uh, we might have to we might have to cut this and leave you hanging. Yeah. So there was there was a bit of a risk enough. to it. That sounds like um, it's something that you believed in enough to take that risk, though. So it it got to a stage where it became real, and the rest of your colleagues were taking it on very seriously. Like, how did that happen? I think the public response helped a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, the government also commissioned some research as to people's views in ACT on this. Uh, and the results of that came back really positive. Um, when those results came back, um, a lot of that hesitancy just dropped. They were like, this is great one, great issue, support's there, this will be a good win, well done. Uh, but until that support came back, and the wider public discourse on it really kind of turned in a very positive way. Because for the first couple of days after I released it, the, the major newspaper in town, um, their, their like front pages were just kind of like finding ways to can it in different ways. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty daunting um, when you kind of pull up the newspaper and go like, oh, shit, oh, yeah. this front this page is, is not good. Assassination <laughs> is crazy. I think, mm. but it's a daily uh, reality for politicians having to deal with that kind of media pressure in the sense. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, like the Camera Times um, is an important institution in ACT, but it's not like, yeah. it's not the front page of the Australian, right? That's true, um, that's true. So like, if you're Daniel Andrews, like you're probably used to the front page of the Australian saying mm. you're a terrible human being. Uh, mm. I, I was, how old was I, 26, 27? 26 or 27 um, and seeing like my picture on the front page of the newspaper essentially like 
essentially saying that I was going to get people locked up in prison with my crazy drug laws. Mm. Um, it's a pretty confronting experience, especially when you're out there by yourself. Like you don't have this like locked solid commitment that we're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone's just waiting to see. Well, it's pretty miraculous. I guess it's that kind of, um, you know, it's, it's that ability to stand out on your own and take that risk that I think is making a lot of the difference in these uh, circles, like politicians like you and Rose who have spoken out and have been quite ardent about what you believe. I think you're actually shifting the scales more than, more than most. Um, and the kind of connection between what's happening in parliament and what's happening on the ground. I think a lot of people recognize immediately when people are speaking out in favor of these issues and the kind of risk that it, uh, it represents. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that like these sorts of um, fights are becoming, I guess, more central to the Labour Party over time. Um, it might take time, but I, I think that what you guys are doing is actually fundamentally um, transformative in terms of what we're looking at, the legal framework here, you know. Yeah. I think one of the challenges drug law reform in Australia has is that the major left-wing party in Australia, uh, the Labor Party, um, and the Labor Party is a group um, that is essentially is built on um, workers coming together. So the central organising issues are those of industrial law. Mm. There are benefits to that. There are downsides to that, depending on how you look at it. Sure. Uh, in that, as a result of that, uh, Australia's got very good industrial laws. The battle lines in Australian politics are kind of like workers versus business, right? Workers versus big business. Yeah. Um, the benefits to that is I think it's been pretty good for working people. Downsides to that are... Uh, working people aren't always united on social issues. Mm -hmm. So the Labor Party um, is a big, broad church, um, and you can have very different views on social issues, but if your views align with us on working people's issues, then we work together and we get really good outcomes for working people. Whereas in the United States with the Democrats, for example, a party that probably on the forefront of cannabis law reform, yeah, you're right. uh, they're terrible on work. I shouldn't say they're terrible. But they're quite divided on yeah, in the US, practically speaking, like in terms of membership and their kind of importance in in I guess, you know, the major political parties, they've lost yeah. their, their influence in comparison to at least in Australia. So, so what do you see? What do you just let me finish this thought? What do you see with the Democratic Party? Because they're not necessarily organized around working people and unions, mm -hmm. um, their party membership and activist base. Uh, isn't united on those issues. So they're very weak on those issues. Um, supporting unions, supporting working people, things like raising the minimum wage yeah. um, aren't central premises of being a Democrat. Uh, so pros and cons to each of them. Something that I think about in regards to the idea of labour being on the side of unions and all of that and how that can relate to cannabis. See, I think Australia has an, a drinking problem a really, really big drinking problem. And I actually think a lot of this stems from hard work. You've got a lot of tradies, a lot of- um, Physical and emotional trauma. A lot of industrial workers, you know, lifting heavy things, backbreaking kind of work. 
And what's funny is you look at the states uh, that legalize in the US where, you know, a lot of people are taking pain uh, killers or using alcohol to self-medicate after work and uh, cannabis becomes legal. Those sales of alcohol and um, pharmaceuticals goes down, cannabis sales go up. And suddenly I think you've actually got a happier and healthier workplace. And what I would kind of like to see potentially out of the unions is talking about maybe these drug tests aren't actually in the best benefit if it's just pinging people for cannabis because they use it in an evening. Um, and it's like, where's the workers right to be able to, you know, find a way to medicate themselves and all of that, especially now with the medical uh, cannabis space starting to thrive in Australia, it's starting to grow, but we still have so many issues in the workplace of, um, potential drug testing, obviously no operating heavy machinery that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I wouldn't really change that, but, you know, just having mere presence in your system doesn't, you know, lead to intoxication. And I think there could be a big movement that could actually start from the unions to talk about this issue. And then that could potentially bring it up to that higher level uh, to the Labor Party where they can actually get people on board. And then just a little on top of that, I think um, the biggest problem we've got in Australia there's no education. There's actually no education. Who, who's educating people about what's going on with cannabis? What is cannabis? Cannabis 30 years ago is not cannabis today. It's um, not to say that it's uh, like a lot stronger as people go, it's 30 times stronger than it used to be, da, 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 da. That's to me irrelevant because now you just smoke 30 times less. <laughs> um, but the, the fact of the matter is cannabis has evolved from what people knew it as when they were children or even, you know, I don't want to say children, teenagers, middle-aged, young adults. Um, everything in that space is changing rapidly. But who's educating anyone on this? The, the issue you raise in the workplace is an interesting one. The, the, inherently, there's two sides to it, right? No one wants to rock up to a construction site and the guy um, operating heavy machinery um, is under the influence of something. Right. No one, no one wants no to one see that in the slightest. No. Um, we also need to be very careful about someone's employer dictating what someone is doing outside of work. Now, there's some vagaries to that in that enforcing theoretically criminal law um, is somewhat reasonable from an employer's sense. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if your boss told you, you you can't do X, Y, Z in your own personal time, um, you you actually feel a bit aggrieved yeah uh which, I think which then the lead... argument that you know perhaps the law has got it wrong in the sense that it violates people's individual liberty to do things beyond yeah. work um, i think what's um i think moving forward uh because i think most people's value set on this is actually somewhere close to a, a sensible agreement uh where most people kind of go what what you do in your own time is kind of your own business i may or may not agree with it but that's your own personal business. Um, as long as it's not affecting me, that's fine. Uh, where the problem comes in, I think the technology uh, isn't there for a lot of these substances uh, and or research. Uh, for some of these substances, we actually don't have a good way to test for impairment. Uh, we can quite simply only do detection. Right. There was some research that came out of, I think, ANU just this week on um, cannabis impairment. Um, yeah, which was quite illuminating. 10 hours, I believe they said, um, after the fact. Which is quite illuminating and um, could theoretically inform um, our laws and our policing in a very helpful way. Yeah. Uh, but from the conversations I've had, we just come back to this key sticking point that currently the technology 
isn't there. Um, cops themselves, when you speak to them, kind of know that the drug detection tests on cannabis are picking people up days after the fact when they're completely fine. Yeah. But they go, we kind of know this is a problem, but also we don't have something better. Mm-hmm. That is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> is there a way to... um? Because you have these kind of field tests that the police operate on. Could you uh, potentially do something like a roadside test if you realize that somebody's impaired, then you bring them in to the van to do some kind of like um, more, you know, rigorous testing? Like this is kind of what happens if you pass a, a random breath test, for instance. I'm not a complete expert on police procedure. Um, yeah. Police always kind of keep their protocols and procedures quite uh, tightly held. Sure. Uh, but if you were to get, if you were to ping on a saliva test for something, um, you would go through the, the whole testing regime. They'd get yeah. you out of your car. You'd go to the van. You'd probably go to the station and they want to get more samples. Um, I, I don't think they want to rely just on the simple Survivor. one-off roadside test. Mm. Well, that's at least comforting. Um, a little bit. The, um, last year sometime, we bought 10 of the saliva tests to um, let's have, have a look at like what could actually throw them off and all of that. Problem was we smoked plenty of cannabis, but we tested negative for every single one. It just seems to not work. <laughs> so, I mean, we were... Let's just say we were definitely not sober. Um, so for us, it was it was a little disheartening. It's like, how are we supposed to know? What if I'm sober and I'm testing positive, but when I'm not, I'm testing negative? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I, got, I don't know what you're buying off eBay in your spare time. <laughs> uh, so hope, hopefully there were legit tests. And then no, disheartening. they definitely were. Yeah, and so then disheartening if they're not working. Because... Uh, at the most fundamental level, I think everyone agrees that people driving under the influence is very dangerous and very bad. And people want to stop that, rightfully so. Uh, and so if, if the testing to picking it up, oh, God, that's no good. Um, I guess at the point, I guess at the point, you, let's say they've got a, like a 50% hit rate, right? You're almost just crossing your fingers and hoping that the deterrent of potentially getting caught is going to stop people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I guess um, the question that remains is kind of where uh, where this kind of leads in terms of innovation and technological development, like you were saying, because there's definite room for, um, you know, better test regimes, better procedures when it comes to this kind of this stuff. There's a drive for change kind of uh, campaign push or campaign at the moment, which is in a sense calling for that. Um, yeah, and I'd like to see where that goes. And I think we're somewhat fortunate, um, in a sense, in that we've actually got quite a large, prosperous nation that kind of ahead of us on this issue. Yeah. So it's somewhat easy for us as a country to just kind of keep an eye to what's going on in other countries and saying. What are they doing about emerging issue X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And then theoretically, if in those countries, they come up with some good solutions to some problems. Potentially, those solutions might actually 
solve some of the deal breakers that Australian politicians hold on this issue. Yeah. For some politicians, they might say, um, I kind of support the legalisation of cannabis, but I'm very concerned about any potential increase in drug driving for X, Y, Z reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. If we can see, see, I guess, another state, the United States, that have done this certain thing and as a result of that technology or that practice, they've been able to reduce the risks of that. And maybe this Australian politician goes, well, actually, like maybe I don't need to be as worried about that as I, I well, was previously. Even just looking at like results in the States where things have become legal, like um, accidents haven't gone up or anything like that where there's impairment involved. Um, I think for me, that's like pretty solid evidence that um, people are still quite responsible. I think the big difference between say something like alcohol and cannabis is your impairment's nowhere near the level of what alcohol does to you, where you drop your inhibitions and you actually don't think. Your response cannabis actually makes you like think a lot more. Within a very short window on alcohol, whereas with cannabis, it's a little bit more flexible. It depends on tolerance, but that impairment still occurs. It's just much harder to measure, much harder to quantify. This, this is the issue. It's like with alcohol, you can get a blood alcohol content reading and you can basically make a conclusion about how drunk somebody is. Can't confirm how high someone yeah. is. Yeah. Um, unless you go give them like something in the van and just see how hard they laugh at particular things. And if it's like not funny at all, you're like, you're pretty cooked, mate. No driving for you. Yeah, this is not funny. <laughs> it's clearly not funny. You, you're definitely stoked. Um, But something that interests me is uh, with the Biden election in the US, there is a lot of rumblings actually about the decriminalization of cannabis uh, on a national level in the States. And also of all drugs, which is something that you're pushing in ACT at the moment. It's like you guys are parallel. So (laughs) I don't know if that's going to come through. You know, it's always like a bit of an empty promise. But uh, prior to Biden getting elected, that was what was coming out of his um, party. And a lot of the states. And a lot of the states. So I really do wonder what would happen if the US did actually push that, say, in the next year too, how that has a flow and effect to us, if at all. Or even to the ACT if we want to reduce the scope. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, what I would say uh, is that I've been a very active member of the Labour Party for a very long time. I got involved very young. So I know a bunch of Labour types right around the country. Uh, and I would say there is quite a large following of US politics. Um, mm. So people in the Labour Party do watch what goes on in America. Yeah. Um, I don't know as many liberal people as I do understandably um but even those ones they very closely follow u.s politics but if you're interested in politics um u.s politics is a lot faster paced yeah, it's it so much larger they've got so many more elections going on all the time the whereas in australia because well. like yeah because in in a oh 24 7 cable news um <laughs> whereas in australia um the federal parliament um comes up and does interesting things but they sit only so many days. There's only yeah. so much coverage. People kind of maybe follow their state or territory parliaments, but once again, there's only so much excitement you can really generate with the number of state and territory parliaments we've got. Um, so it's very easy to kind of get interested in the exciting US politics. Plus, mm-hmm. they're just a little bit wilder and wackier. They, their scandals 
Um, Actually, now I say that, our scandals have gone pretty juicy these yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to give us credit. But yeah, the US does things differently, for sure. Yeah, so the central point I'm getting to is that uh, the Australian political class, like they're definitely interested in US politics. So they yeah. know what's going on there. Definitely. Whether that translates to them doing something about it. Um, yeah. the- I guess there's, there's a need for a push on the grassroots level for something on this kind of high echelon you know uh political class shift to occur because like you're saying they're listening to their constituents and uh a hundred different issues or a thousand different issues how are they supposed to prioritize i think like the conclusion that we kind of came to in our discussion with rose was that politicians won't take this on as a matter of um party policy more broadly until there is a push on a broad grassroots bottom up level to make this happen. And a lot of that pressure, according to Rose, just isn't there. It's not happening, which is why this issue isn't being pushed as much. Um, so I just, I guess if you, do you think there's room for that? In yeah, that sense? I think, I think Rose um, absolutely accurate in that. Uh, community participation in every form has been declining this country, whether it's involvement in your local sporting club, whether it's yeah. involvement in your um, uh, a trade union, in a church, or in a political party, are all just declining. Yep. There are, of course, exceptions to that general decline, but in general, community participation is going down. Uh, in the case of political parties, what that decline in participation looks like, the membership of political parties, generally speaking, older, wider, uh, so if you think that the average political party member in this country for pretty much every political party, whether you're talking about the Nationals, the Greens, the Liberal Party or the Labor Party, um, tend older, uh, and I don't think drug law reform is necessarily the forefront of their membership. Yeah, um, right. I would say, generally speaking, the most enthusiasm that I come across kind of in a younger generation, not your kind of like teenagers, early 20s, probably mid-20s to maybe under 40 is where the most... That's us. Yeah, there you go. Um, It's where the most enthusiasm comes from. Um, These people just aren't members of political parties anymore. Um, So that would be a good thing to change um, if you're interested in politics. Um, Generally speaking, you support a political party and this is also an issue you care about. Go get involved um, and talk about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Like even, um, you know, there's plenty of opportunities for activism outside of parliamentary politics, but when you're looking at the inside picture and how people are interacting with that, the communication lines, I think, have been cut in a lot of ways. So it's important to keep them open. My question to you is, why do you think there has been such a decline, not just in the politics kind of gatherings, just in general? Like, what do you think's breeding that kind of culture in Australia? God, how long is a piece of string? Um, yeah, seven. Yeah. Uh, why are we more disconnected? Easy answers. Um, technology, increasing um, time pressures due to declining um, working conditions. Capitalization, potentially. Yeah, I would say the pressures of capitalism um, have been ramping up. Um, uh, if, if, you've got a, if you've got a work a full-time job, 
Yeah. If you've got uh, declining wages relative to the nation's wealth, um, you probably have to work harder, longer hours. You've still got the same care and responsibilities. Uh, um, you've now got more time pressures and that everyone's got a Netflix subscription. It's very easy to kind of be distracted with other things. Um, I kind of understand, especially when a lot of these things aren't as rewarding in the immediate sense. Yeah. Like going along, it's been a long time since I've been to church, right? But mm. going to church on a Sunday um, is a very good thing for you to do in a spiritual sense, maybe, or maybe in a, your well being sense. But you're competing against all these different ways you could be spending your time. And I think right. people have been making different choices to what they historically made. Yeah. Mm. 100%. Um, if, if you guys have any good solutions to how we get people more engaged i'm all ears uh but it's this very real problem that it's not just australia facing it's happening it's, it's a global problem right around the world mm-hmm. um it's a real problem because our politics is becoming increasingly disconnected back in the day right political parties used to be this central gathering place and this yeah, yeah. central distribution of news um it used to be the way that you'd rock up to your local party meeting um, your local member of parliament would be there and, and they would essentially tell you the news. They'd go, yeah. this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And it was this central gathering for the community. These days, like, why on earth would you bother? Yes. You can get a better update from the newspaper that you read on your smartphone that you definitely don't pay the subscription service for. Murdoch has written that script. So it's like, how do you actually get town halls to happen again? How do you actually get public meetings to happen again? Maybe it's in a digital or a virtual space. Maybe it's a mix of the two. But like those, I think, community spaces, public spaces, uh, that third, if you want to put it like outside of the market, outside of bureaucracy in the state, it's just people and their self-involved activity. Um, that realm has seen a massive contraction in the past 50 to 100 years. And I think it's that kind of, it used to exist within domestic life and within um, you know, suburban life, uh, within your neighborhood and within uh, the identity groups and the kind of community groups that you existed in. But now things are too fractured, it's too complex. So how do you, create a new level of coherency on top of that. I think you actually need um, to start decentralizing politics, if that makes sense. Yeah, what, People need what does to start that look like? decisions for themselves. Well, in the sense that we currently have a representative system, we need to start actually providing direct ballot initiatives to people so they get interested in politics. That would be one of my suggestions. It would also be actually constructing, you know, this is a bit of a foreign idea in our current political system, but I actually like the idea of a Soviet, like a legit, a worker council or like a, a people's council of a given area. So people can actually discuss the kind of policy changes that they like, even in their local area. They construct their own neighborhood plan, which could then actually be taken up by the state government or whatever. I mean, like, this is just stuff that we don't do. We don't consult yeah. people on this level. I, I think you, you, you raise a very good point i think your solution needs to adjust for one thing though yeah okay people are incredibly time poor you're right um i think direct democracy is a very good thing um Mm. the act we've actually instituted a couple of examples of it in recent times um but you need to make sure that you get representative samples in your direct democracy initiatives because overwhelmingly the people that get involved in direct democracy are people with type of person yeah they're a type of person, they've got time, they've got money on their hands. Mm-hmm. And if you are 
20 year old who works part-time trying to juggle university caring responsibilities you don't have three hours on a tuesday night once a fortnight to go talk about this one particular issue i couldn't agree more with that um so if you get the model right and you can support the right people to be a part of it that means a diverse and representative group um it's a very good thing yeah um the problem is that the way our current society works there's not a lot of um, appetite for it i don't think well i think there's an appetite for it uh the uh, way I, our current amongst people but like when we're talking about representatives who could institute this why would they do it um We've done an ACT. Don't be wrong, ACT is quite a forward-thinking place. Yeah, um, I think you that, guys that, are actually on a different level, if that makes any sense. You're in a different league when it comes to developing public policy. The, yeah. the game that's being played across Australia in state and federal politics is mostly corrupt. That's how I would put it. Like, people act in self-interest in politics. They act to elect themselves. That's what the Liberal Party is based, basically based upon, and they're in government 70% of the time. So, I'm not... This is this is a wild conversation. Uh, I don't I don't closely follow uh, other states' politics too much, yeah. uh, because I, I'm a I'm a busy guy, right? Like I don't have enough time in the day as it is. Uh, so I I keep an eye when kind of like spicy stories come up in other jurisdictions. Uh, and so don't be wrong, there's a bunch of bad stuff happening in other jurisdictions. Um, is it every year, every two years, they kind of release those international corruption rankings yes, and you kind of look at where you look at where Australia is listed. It's kind of this jarring thing that you've yeah, got this idea. Yeah, you have this, I think a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people have this ideal that Australia is this laid back country where everything kind of works out in the end and okay. everyone's good hearted. Yeah. yeah, all good, mate. Uh, and you kind of see these international corruption rankings and you're like, what? What is causing that? Where is, where is that coming in? Yeah. So there's definitely something happening. However, I would say for the most part that most politicians, one of the, whether it's an advantage or a downside, one of the, one of the things about being a politician is you actually get to meet a lot of politicians. Right. Um, and I would say most politicians are pretty genuine people. I've got very real policy disagreements with a bunch of them. Most of them are like reasonably hardworking people. Um, some of them, of course, and I think we read about it in the newspaper a lot when it does happen, um, go off and do bad things, whether it's deliberately or stupidly go off and do bad things. Yeah, right. um, if we effectively can weed them out, I think most people should kind of have some level of faith the elected representatives actually care. Just because you disagree yeah. with them doesn't mean they don't care. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I don't think Australia is as corrupt as a whole as some of the other places that I've been. You can definitely compare Australia to other places and be like, wow, level of corruption is nowhere near. That's true. Yeah. I think that's without a doubt. It's simply to say that like... No corruption is good. To, For the record, everyone is like, no, no corruption is good. We need integrity bodies. We need a national integrity body. Um, a lot of the states have integrity bodies. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, but, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad we agree on that. I think there's just a need to, um, I don't know, on on a general level, kind of recognize that as far as um, as far as representative politics goes, there's maybe not a a corruption on a broader level. Perhaps that's the wrong uh, the wrong way to put it. It's more like 
um, people, when they exist in the world of representative politics, don't necessarily see it as of prime importance to place, and, and this kind of sounds contradictory, right? Because the whole point of being a representative is to listen. It's to come to conclusions based upon what you can gather as the consensus among the community. And then based upon your own values and beliefs and so forth, you make a decision. But I actually think that that's part of, it's, it's part of the game of power in this sense that like, for a representative, for a group of representatives to then decide we're gonna vest our power away from ourselves and then into the people. I actually think that's unlikely. Like there's a reason why that doesn't happen often, basically. Um, I think you um, should reflect on how our Westminster parliamentary system actually works. I already do that. I'm a member of the Australian Labor Party. Uh, the Australian Labor Party has a platform, which is essentially a set of policies and values that we are meant to implement. Um, I'm, I'm one vote in that. Yeah, I'm yeah. one vote amongst party membership. So when I go into the ACT Legislative Assembly and vote, those votes are all guided by a policy platform that's constantly updated by the wider party membership. Uh, so that kind of already happens. Yeah, they're I interesting. Like the Labor Party internals, by the way, the fact that they do interact directly with the rank and file these days and there's a real the, the very interesting point i would make on this is that when i introduced my private members bill to legalize the possession of cannabis in the act um that wasn't in the labor party platform i actually skirted quite closely running against what the labor party platform said wow. so i was actually at risk of getting myself in trouble yeah. from the wider labor party membership for having gone and tried to introduce a bill that wasn't in the Labour Party platform. Wow. So in that sense, um, by completely divesting myself of personal autonomy and power, yeah. um, I wouldn't have actually been able to bring forward that private members bill. I would yeah. have theoretically had to have gone and convinced the party membership, said, let's change what our party policy is on this. Yeah. Then once that was changed, then I could have introduced it. So really, that being said, I kind of backed myself in. I said, I reckon I can convince party membership on this. Um, I don't I don't need to wait. I'll just forge ahead. But I kind of left myself hanging. If the party membership had come out and said, no, this is against party policy, hmm. theoretically, I could get kicked out of the Labor Party. Yeah, and that's huge. And that's not a question of, um, it's not arbitrary. That's power. I mean, you lose your position. <laughs> so that's yeah. I lose being a Labour Party member. I'd still be an elected official until my term was out, though. So yeah, that would have been right. fun. You'd be an independent. <laughs> I mean, um, having lost your position, like, purely for standing up for cannabis, what would you do with your remaining time, theoretically? That would be an um, one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. If I was all of a sudden an independent, uh, I would say it's kind of circles back to something I said at the very start, right? Um, you've got a thousand issues in front of you. Constituents raise, you name the issue, you get all sorts of representations on all sorts of issues, often from both sides of an issue all the time. Right. Uh, and you kind of um, go back and prioritise. You're like, all right, this is an issue that's coming a lot, up a lot in the community. I think we can get something done on this. Therefore, I'm going to dedicate my time to trying to make this happen. Uh, I would say internally, 
most politicians themselves kind of have like a little laundry list of things that they kind of mm. go, you know what, if I can tick off X, Y, and Z by the time I'm done in politics, I've done a good job. Yeah, right. Okay. For some, for some people, I'd say there's some kind of like positions in that. They go like, I want to be prime minister by the time I'm done in politics. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but inherently in all of those people's lists, there'll be some policies. Um, you don't get interested in politics if you don't actually care about some issues. Um, there might be some psychopaths floating around, but inherently some people always care about some issues. Yeah. So I've got, I've kind of got my like internal laundry list of things that I go like, you know what, this issue really pisses me off. I really want to work on this. Some of them are issues that, um, I can kind of quite proactively and publicly talk about other issues. You kind of go, I got to, I got to lay the groundwork on this, bide my time a little bit, mm. but we'll get there. That's mm. cool. Like they, you just have that laundry list there. That's that's really cool. So, like, is cannabis part of that list? How did it actually get there? Like, well, it wasn't on the laundry list. Okay. Um, the the issues that kind of most drove me into being very active in politics wasn't drug law reform. Like, don't get me wrong. Like my views were kind of set on that very early. I was like, man, this what, war on drugs is pretty what was it? Uh, the the two kind of main driving issues is our health system in Australia yeah. uh, and our industrial laws. Um, what do you think so about the health system? What would you like to see? I don't think we're doing a, a very good job of providing access to people that need it when they need it. Um, I agree. And, and I think there are some solutions and kind of like steps that we can take and um but yeah broadly i've got some pet peeves in that space that um i will squirrel away try to make that happen uh, and then i've got some issues with in our industrial laws that just kind of grind my gears and there's so, a uh, phrase of uh, a good figure of speech yeah. there grind your gears uh and so you just kind of you have this you sit back and you go like this is something i want to see changed this is a law that is stupid. I disagree with and does is hurting working people. Uh, and there are there's kind of this. It's quite it's quite funny being a politician because uh, you kind of get criticised a lot for not like coming out, kind of like being a champion on every issue. Yeah, of course. Kind of like it's like if I could only tell you that like I care so much about X Y Z issue, um, but the reason I'm not coming out making a big song and dance about this is because I actually think that will run counter to the, that interest in the yeah, long run. strategic, really, at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and there are some issues, don't get me wrong, there are some issues where um, kind of like biting your tongue, not saying something, the morally wrong thing to do. Yeah, and strategically, yeah. could be the wrong thing as well. Right. Um, but on some issues, actually not making it an issue is the best way to go about getting that change in place that's a very mm. interesting insight from someone but, who understands that world you know yeah but where it gets a bit blurry is that uh like i've met a lot of politicians i've said it before and most of them are good people mm. um some people's goals and intentions are bad ones yeah, um, it's not pure and then <laughs> uh and they're like everything's everything's um, subjective uh, but i would say some of these people's intentions and goals are actually very bad policies um, and they don't say anything about it, um, and that is a very bad outcome. 
Um, so I do, I do understand the hypocrisy in me doing it. And there's probably some of your listeners who will think that some things that I'm quietly working away towards are bad as well. Um, so it is quite genuinely a double-edged sword. I suppose so. But then on this end, I feel like when you talk about uh, industrial relations and when you talk about the health system, those are very, at least to me, they seem like uncontroversial things to care about and to work towards making better and improving. Um, I know that there are plenty of people who would have issues with maybe how you specifically propose to do it, but that's quite, to me, that sounds like a populist agenda, you know, um, one that has a lot of broad appeal because people, well, they need healthcare. And also if they are workers of basically any kind, if you, if you are not a business person, practically speaking, you're going to want to have better industrial relation laws. And even if you are a business person, you might want to see that. So mm. there's, um, there's a real, like, I think that even in the 21st century, uh, these issues are still of absolute utmost importance. Like nothing has changed from, you know, however long ago when labor participation, uh, union participation was a lot higher. Um, people just generally had more of an identity as workers. And, um, and there was a sense that like, people were more involved in, in the political system. Um, I still think that the kind of major drivers of these changes within the progressive movement uh, still have the same kind of responsibility that they did back then. So um, with that kind of being said, uh, I wanted to somewhat maybe close with you um, talking about kind of upcoming bills, things that you're working on at the moment um, I've heard that there's a bit of a murmur at the moment about uh, decriminalization of uh, more substances than just cannabis in the ACT. So would you like to talk about that? Sure. Uh, I've uh, introduced a private member's bill to the ACT Legislative Assembly to decriminalize the possession of small amounts of some illicit substances. Awesome. Yeah, common street drugs like your, your ice, your ecstasy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so far the response has been really positive. Um, I've introduced the bill to the Legislative Assembly. The next step is that that bill is considered by a committee of my colleagues. They go away and they call for public submissions to kind of consider and ponder it. Once I've had a chance to think about it, write a report recommending changes or whether it be adopted or rejected, they'll then bring that back to the chamber and then the entire Legislative Assembly will debate and then ultimately vote on my private members bill to decriminalize these substances. Fantastic. So um, you're getting good responses within parliament at the moment. Um, you haven't had any kind of, uh, have you seen the kind of uh, public attempts to uh, bring you down that occurred first with the um, cannabis legalization? Uh, or has it hasn't occurred as much? It has actually occurred as much this time. Uh, okay. I think, Maybe it's just the word legalization, One of the, decriminalization. Yeah, that's partly it. Uh, I would also say that the framing of the cannabis debate was one about making it a health issue. Mm. Uh, and so when the entire discourse is about being a health issue, one, you, I think you kind of set yourself up to win that argument. Uh, but it then flows very nicely into the decriminalization debate for other substances. Yeah, you're right. Where when you, you get everyone talking about like, drugs are a health issue, drugs are a health issue. Then you 
pull out the next step and you go like, well, actually, you, you were just saying this is a health issue. Um, yeah. Why wouldn't little... this? Why would this not be a health issue? It's your hook it's a... after the jab. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so the conversation in the community has been really quite positive. Um, the the Liberal Party and the ACT um, have refused to take a position on it. Um, wow. they, they came out straight away on cannabis possession legalization and were just like, this is outrageous. How right. dare you? On this, straight bat, don't want to make it a big issue. Um, That's really exciting. State, stakeholders in the ACT, just straight bat, like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's mm-hmm. get the details right. Cool. Um, this is the kind so, of thing that in Queensland, um, you know, we had a report from the QPC that basically looked at recidivism and, and the kind of rates of people incarcerated and found that we're spending way, way too much on locking people up, that we don't really have the capacity for it. And that if we stopped doing that for nonviolent drug offenses, uh, the problem would be solved. Um, yeah. But those recommendations haven't been moved forward. So it's kind of like, any movement that can happen anywhere in Australia on this issue, um, when it comes to, I guess, street substances more generally, it's it's really exciting because it's like the policy is catching up with the evidence in some ways. Yeah. I always find it um, quite funny when these reports come out uh, and Government has essentially spent lots of money setting up these organisations yeah. to give these reports. Yep. They're well considered. Uh, they write these reports and then government kind of just goes like, you know what? Yeah. I'm not touching this. Uh, and I think it boils down to a misunderstanding of what causes politicians to act. Right. Um, giving a politician of any stripe um, a report with some recommendations with some evidence behind it isn't always, I guess, this compelling cause for that politician to then go put themselves in the line of fire and get blown up by the Daily Telegraph, right? right. If someone handed you a report and said, like, you should go do this, and then they say, like, well, don't worry about all that other bad stuff that comes with doing this, Um, getting hate mail, getting abused, potentially, like, losing an election, Mm. Um, that isn't always the most compelling thing to get politicians to do things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one quiver in the arrow to convince people. Um, but you need to actually understand what motivates politicians. Um, for a, a lot of politicians, a very simple motivation is if they think that introducing this change is going to be a good thing for them as a politician, then you know what? They're probably going to be jumping to do it. Yeah, yeah right. And I mean, not in your case, Michael, because you were willing to put yourself in the line of fire and see what happens. But in the end, I think it paid off for you. Your notoriety across all of Australia has just skyrocketed. Yeah. People definitely know who you are 10 times more than they did prior to the bill, right? Yeah, 100%. And once again, I don't want to make myself out to be some brave guy, right? (laughs) Like talking about cannabis legalization in Canberra isn't like the most radical thing in the world. Um, Canberra's quite quite a forward thing to play. So inherently, I kind of backed myself in a bit. I was like, I'm a Canberran. I know Canberran. I can get away with this. Canberrans will go for this. Yeah. Um, And you were right. Yeah. Um, So to just kind of wrap wrap up, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of your thoughts for 2021. You know, we've got a federal election probably happening this year. You've got the Liberal Party kind of falling to pieces in a lot of respects. 
where do you see our country going? What are our kind of problems that are about to come up? Um, and potentially any solutions maybe the National Labor Party has and just anything you've kind of heard that you would want to share about the vision for Australia 20, in 2021 and onwards? Yeah, uh, like first things first, there's no way there's going to be a federal election this year. Yeah. The, the vaccine rollout, the allegations out of parliament, the federal liberal government is having a bad time at the moment. And they're having a replacement um, for SCOMO either. They're in trouble. Yeah, so, so they're not running to the polls. Um, so when they have an election, which will probably be later rather than sooner, mm. uh, I think I think Labor's in with a good shot, but I'm still not banking on it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the biggest problems I see in Australia right now is this growing intergenerational wealth disparity for sure uh and the looming retirement of baby boomers um and the aging already, already started right. yeah um so in essence what's gonna happen in australia if we don't do something about it we're gonna have a bunch of young people that are paying more for their education more than ever before mm-hmm. uh to uh then go into the workforce where they're getting paid less working in worse conditions in insecure work um, without the career progression that was enjoyed by previous generations uh, who cannot afford a house, uh, who are then being asked to pay more for the health services and retirement of a generation that did all those things to young people. Uh, oh, that so, resentment. I'm sure that'll be fine. Yeah. So there's, I think there is a, a reckoning that needs to happen in Australian politics. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not confident it'll ever happen. A lot of the time, um, okay. a lot of the time, having these big fights isn't going to work out well. And by the time that I would say that the political numbers in terms of an election would be there to kind of have that big reckoning, already too late. Like yeah. it would have been however many years of that status quo being in place that a whole generation of Australian young people kind of been screwed for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that, yeah, on, on that note, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, get, <laughs> Ideally not. Get, get involved. Um, I love it. Getting involved, getting involved in the political process is um, very important. I decided to express my activism through party politics. That's not for everyone. Um, there are lots of different ways to do it, but whatever it is, make sure you do something because... Um, mm-hmm. If you don't do anything and kind of sitting around waiting and expecting someone else to do it, you might be disappointed. That's really good. I just want to be a, I want to see a post-recession cannabis-led recovery, right? I want cannabis planted <laughs> all over gas. Australia. Forget about gas. Forget about gas. I want solar. <laughs> we're going to be exporting hydrogen and we're going to be exporting pot. The best cannabis in the world. The best <laughs> cannabis in the world. We can do it. Guaranteed. On top of just hemp fibers and all of that, like I, I truly just believe. Just ideas, man. Uh, like I'm, I'm more on the business end than Mitch. Mitch is more theoretical and political. I, I want business and I want it to be cannabis. Australia has some of the best climate in the world to grow it, and I think like the push for, you know, renewables and things that are sustainable is happening more and more across the whole world. We have so much land mass um, that can grow cannabis, and cannabis is a plant that doesn't actually take from the earth. It actually gives back to the earth. Um, so you don't have to, you know, refertilize soils and all of that. I, I just think it's literally an endless possibility for Australia. 
My hope is once we come out of a big, giant, great depression, everyone smokes a bit of pot and suddenly everyone's a little happier and we're like, you know what? This is what we need to do. And we go forth and uh, we grow the seed of life. New industry, guys. <laughs> Brand new industry. <laughs> what, a, what a different Australia that would be. All we need. <laughs> well, we're meant we need, to be Michael, laid back, aren't from we? Your, from your labor folks, we need lots and lots of subsidies for the cannabis industry. Mm. So just like put in a good word for us, will you? <laughs> I, I thought the, the cannabis industry was meant to be generating tax revenue for us. Oh, <laughs> if we're giving it. you subsidies, oh, you have we're to. giving you subsidies, it sounds like it's costing us money. Well, you're it giving is. the it oil is. companies are getting subsidies. It Give it to around, some of the around. cannabis companies. <laughs> like you'll have you'll have good cannabis as a result if you give us money. <laughs> Yeah, I actually find um. So I've I've publicly said it before that um, while for my private members bill addressed possession, um, it didn't do anything to address supply. So I've I've said very publicly that um there are there's an inherent problem with the supply of cannabis in Australia right now that organised criminal gangs are yeah. essentially making lots of money, um, and I think that is a bad thing. I don't like bikies having money. Uh, so we we need to do something about supply in this country um i'm not sure like i'm I'm willing to be convinced but i'm just not sure that it's going to be this like massive booming industry like i've been to america i've seen cannabis industry i've been to canada i saw i've seen cannabis industry kind of going on there it's not nothing right but cannabis industry isn't going to solve australia's problems australia's got some some big problems and we need to we need to reckon with them um and cannabis industry would help but it's not the whole answer drop in the bucket really mm. uh, i'll just have to smoke and be depressed about it that's all right <laughs> that's all right our medical industry is starting to catch up and um i think that's even though there are supply issues on that end there is but i think that's yeah. going to be resolved in the next few years as yeah more and more and the uh, fact that you've um provided kind of two plants per person for max in Canberra. that actually solves a lot of problems because uh people not being able to get that kind of consistency uh on the medical program something that actually yeah. I didn't mention during this was uh an issue that i hear about in the act people's plants just getting robbed you know people jumping yeah. the fence and stealing a plant <laughs> and you're like that's that's actually concerning isn't it yeah <laughs> so uh, it's about plant theft <laughs> No, I, I get emails every so often of someone being like, Michael, love your work, great guy. Just want to let you know my cannabis plan has been stolen. <laughs> I'm just like, what do you want me to do with that information? It's like, I want you to hunt them down. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know, call the cops or something. I'm not sure like how enthusiastic the cops are going to be, but... <laughs> but oh, like, like i can help guys i can't do everything for you <laughs> yeah you've done enough look that's fine we accept that uh thank you for your time um great cast for us we really yeah, enjoyed this great conversation have a good time i i, I had fun and um yeah i uh, look forward to giving it a rewatch when it's up awesome thank you okay all right all right you have a great day stay um stay high no, I vibed. Stay know, humble, maybe. stay integral, and uh, keep fighting for you know your beliefs and keep pushing the envelope a little bit, like where people aren't maybe pushing. Um, I think that's what I really like to see in a politician, just going a little against the grain, a grain, not completely, but at least a little bit. Yeah, taking some cool risks. 
Thanks for doing it. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. Signing up. See ya. Woo.